There are some people who are really good at what they do, and then there's a whole other category of people, and what you call those people is Michael Phelps. Like, he's like a whole head above the rest of us who might think that we're good at anything. Uh, Michael Phelps, you might keep up with him this past week or, or so. Yeah, I mean, he's been blowing, blowing up the world with just stuff that he's been doing. Uh, this past uh, week, he earned his 23rd gold medal. Let me tell you a funny thing. Yeah, somebody want to clap? We'll clap. Yeah. Woo! Um, th- this is what's funny about that. Like, I actually had to go and edit my, my, my message document, like, twice this week to change that number. That's how good he is. He's like, I'm winning medals while you write sermons. Like, just boom, boom, boom. Done, done. He's so good. Uh, there's a lot of statistics you could share about him. I won't go into all of them because you, you can listen to Bob Costas do it later. But um, wh- what I've seen, this, the one that blows my mind, is that he has more medals, more gold medals, than 189 other countries like the whole country, he has more medals than that whole country. Like, I mean, he has more medals than Argentina. And he has more medals than Austria or Colombia or Ecuador or Mexico. I mean, he's got more than 189 other countries. Michael Phelps is better than them all by himself. And so uh, they haven't even come close. You remember when you were in school and your teacher would assign one of those group projects and you had to do like the dreaded group project or maybe you were the one who loved him. I don't know. But there was that one smart kid in your class and at least that was me. I was always like, man, I hope that I get on their group. Like, if only I could get in their group for this project. Why? Because when you have the smart kid in your group, you're going to make a better grade. Or maybe uh, for you, it was like when you lined up for the game at, at recess and they started counting off one, two, one, two. But you know that one kid who's really good at that game that you're about to play, and you're like, oh, I just hope I get on, on their team. Like, that would be so good because when the really good kid is on your team, then you win the game. And so uh, one of the events that Michael Phelps has recently won um, – last night was the men's uh, 4x200. It's a group event. And he also did the 4x100. That's a group event. Can, can you imagine being the other teammates when you're like, wait, Michael's on the team? Yes. Sweet. We're good. Like, there's just this confidence that comes when there's someone great in your midst, right? There's this confidence that comes on you. Whatever it is that you're doing, you're like, we can handle this. Maybe you've got projects that you work on, and maybe it's like your dad that you call. You're like, dad, yeah, it's me again. No, I know I haven't called. Yeah, that's right. My car must be broken down because I called you, right? Because he's just the guy that you call when you got car problems or there's an old teacher that you call when you run into something at work that you can't you know, figure out. There's always that person that you go to. It's like, if I can have them on my, my team for this issue, then I feel completely confident with the issue. And, and kind of that like vein of thinking is where I want to go today as we continue in our teaching series through the book of Jonah. We've been in this teaching series uh, called The Story of Jonah, The Man on the Run, and um, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles if you've got one. Open them up to the book of Jonah. It's a tiny little book near the end of the Old Testament. You might have a hard time finding it if you don't know your books of the Bible very well. That's fine if you want to flip to the index at the front, and there's no shame in that game. Jonah's like two pages long. You miss it if you don't try very hard. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, I want you to know we got free Bibles on the uh, floor under the chairs. Uh, feel free to use one of those or even take one home with you if you need a Bible. Those are free Bibles for you to have. But over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through this book of Jonah and studying his life and seeing that there's so much more to this story than just what is very typical. What's the first thing that comes to many of your minds if you've heard the story of Jonah? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? The fish, the whale, like there's this big fish involved. But it's so much more. The very first week we said, you know, this isn't so much a story about a big fish as it is a story about a big God. And so that's what we've been really unpacking. In the first week we saw Jonah running from God. And he gets this assignment from God and he runs away and it, and it wreaks havoc on his life. Last week we saw Jonah doing some more running, but actually now he's running back to God. Because he's realized, you know, I've run as far as I can go and I can't do this on my own and I've got to go back to you. And so we were in chapter 2 last week. 
Today we're going to be in chapter 3. Jonah's been doing a lot of running. Uh, but today, as he's decided to run back to God, we're going to see what happens when he finally runs with God. Are you following that little, that little metaphor there? And there's a lot of running going on. Running away from God. He's running to God. Now he's with God. And he's like, what happens when I try to stay on the same page as God? What happens when God is on my team? If you thought Michael Phelps was a good teammate, let's see what happens when God comes alongside. So we're going to be picking up right where we left off last week. So if you got that Bible, go ahead and open up. Um, the scripture will be also on the screen behind me. Uh, just a reminder, we're picking up from a place where Jonah had been in the belly of this fish for three days. He had been uh, praying that God would just deliver him. And we were assuming that Jonah was probably thinking, I mean, I'm dead. I'm dead in this fish. I've been punished for what I've done. But that God doesn't bring us discipline uh, to, to bring us down. He brings it, it gives it to us to bring us back to him. And so that's where we are. And so at the end of last book, unfortunately, Jonah is vomited up by the fish onto the beach, kind of the, one of the weirder places in the Bible. And we pick up at Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. This is where it goes. So he's laid on the beach, and it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. We're going to go ahead and read through all of this chapter, and then we're going to unpack it. So this is what the word of, comes to Jonah. It says this in uh, verse 2. It says, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. And now this next part goes by kind of fast, okay? So don't miss it, okay? We're going to pick up verse 4. It's very fast, but a lot happens. Jonah began by going a day's journey to the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. That was pretty easy. Like Jonah had like the easy button from the Staples commercial. He's like, preach to Nineveh. And they all believed. So, and that's all we get. We get one verse. That's his whole message. Then in verse 6, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he, the king, the king rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth. This is a cultural way of showing mourning or, or some sort of like repentance. And he sat down in the dust. The king is so moved by, by Jonah. Look what he does next. Verse 7. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. They're going to have a fast throughout the nation. Do not let them taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. Again, another cultural way of kind of expressing this mourning. But let people and animals be covered in sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Now, we're almost there. Remember, uh, we said last week, it's never too late to pray. And we talked a lot about how evil uh, the, the Ninevites were and just these horrible things that they would do as Assyrians. And in verse 10, we get this. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So once again, this account is super short on words, but it's super long on application. There's a lot that we can draw out of this. And so what I want to do with the time that we've got today is unpack uh, those about 10 verses and just see, like, what is it from Jonah's story that we could grow from, that we could learn from, and most importantly, how can I play this in my own life today? Uh, first, we'll look back at verse 1, okay? We saw it last week. We spent some time on it last week. We kind of cheated and looked ahead. It says that Jonah... I said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And last week we said that this is, this is huge because what this says is that God is a God of second chances. 
I mean, Jonah had his chance to listen to God, to obey God, to do what God wanted to do, and he blew it, right? And he was punished, but then God comes to him again. I want to stop here for just a minute and spend just a minute on that second chance thing because I believe that is really, really the message of Jesus. And it's what the church exists to promote is that God gives second chances. And one of my favorite things about being involved in church uh, and and being a pastor at a church, and I've been working in churches for over 15 years now, and and one of my biggest thrills is not a great Sunday morning that goes off without a hitch. It's not an event that has, you know, a, 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 a budget that ends in the black. Like, it's not, it's not just seeing these cool things that we get to pull off as a church. No, the, the biggest thrill for me about being involved in church is seeing people's lives changed. It's seeing the second chance that God gives people and what people do with it. And so, uh, as I was thinking about this this past week, I was reminded of a, um, a video that we showed in church. Uh, it was about two and a half years ago we showed this video. Occasionally we'll uh, get with someone whose life has been just radically changed by God, and we'll shoot a little video of them telling their story because it can be really inspirational to the rest of us to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's what God does. I was reminded of a story of uh, Chris Campbell. A lot of you know Chris. Many of you do. He's actually uh, on vacation right now with his wife, and I'm so happy that he is because he is someone who serves our church, I mean, almost second to none. I mean, he's one of the first people here every week. Am I right? Do you guys who are here early in the morning for setup? He's one of the first people, the last people to leave. He's always serving. Uh, and if you only recently met Chris, you would think, uh, wow, man, of course he's like that. That's just Chris. He's always does that. Chris hasn't always been that guy. And so uh, I want to show you the story about Chris's second chance. Just check this out. Again, this is a cut like two and a half years old, but it's still just as powerful today. Check this out. You know, I, if I were to look at my life a year ago, I'd say there's no way at all that I would, that I'd be going, going to church and, you know, become a Christian and do all this, like believing in God at all. I would not, I would, no, I would not have thought that this is where my life would be. I was pretty much living my life on autopilot. I was, you know, putting all my time and everything into, I guess, drugs, which, you know, was not the way to go. But, you know, that's what I lived my life for. It wasn't, wasn't for anything else. I was, you know, 100% skeptical on the whole God thing, religion, Christianity, anything like that. You know, because it's it's hard for me to believe something that, you know, I can't physically touch, I can't see, and, you know, I didn't, I never had any proof of it. So there's, from what I heard from other people, it just, just wasn't for me. That the whole God thing was not for me. It was on Easter. 2012 and I just I just had for some reason I just had voices telling me that hey this isn't this earth this world this isn't everything there's way more than this and I didn't know what it was I you know just telling me you need to leave Florida you need to leave home you you know you're not going to be at your job forever it's this is not the place for you to be. You don't need to be here. And, you know, about a month later, I met a girl. 
started dating. I came and visited a couple times, and I went to church up here with her. And, you know, visited four times, and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to move. I'm going to leave all my friends, everything down in Florida. It's just time for me to go. God was the last thing that I thought it was. Like I said, I was completely skeptical of the whole thing. I moved up here, was going to church with her for six months. I heard about this whole church for people who don't like church. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll check it out. So, checked it out. First week I went, we talked about how the Bible is a reliable source of information. And, you know, I just got the facts laid down for me. That's really what I needed, was I needed that proof. I needed to see that. And after that, I mean, we just really became part of a small group. A big part that came into my life was, you know, I was on my way to work one day, and I was a little early, so just like, you know what? Something, Something's just saying, take a minute, stop off just before you go to work, and just, just take a minute to yourself sat down, closed my eyes, and just really starting to think really deeply. And that was the first time that I had a real connection with God. Stopping and taking a second to really think, I decided at that moment, November 21st, that, you know, I'm going to live my life for God and put it in His hands. Having faith in Him and, you know, just, like, putting my faith into something more than drugs. About a month later, Christmas Eve, I decided to, you know, make a, just make a big decision. I'm gonna do it. So, got baptized that day, and, you know, ever since then, I've been, I've just been so thankful every day. I could say that I'm smart enough to see that, you know, there's, there's a lot more that's ahead of me on this journey. And I, I really want to see what God has for me and what he has planned for my life. Since filming this video, uh, like I said, it's been two and a half years and those of you who know Chris, and maybe didn't even know some of his story, uh, man, to see how changed his life has become is amazing. To see what he's done with the second chance that God gave him has, has been amazing. Like, uh, he's become a leader among our church, not because he has a fancy title, but because everybody follows Chris. Everybody's like, what do you need? Like, what, what can we do? And, and, and Chris just has vision for, like, where it is God is helping us go. He's someone who me, as the quote-unquote leader of our church, Chris comes to me all the time, and he's inspiring me, but like, man, let me show you what I was reading in the Bible today, and this is what I've been praying about, and he'll ask me questions that blow my mind. Like, I have never even thought about that, man. Like, why are you thinking about that? This is what God's doing with his second chance, what Chris is doing with his second chance. He, uh, last year, he got married to, uh, to Carly. Uh, Carly is, is one of our worship leaders here at church, and um, man, to see what they're doing as a team, and she's got a, a second chance story of her own that's pretty amazing, and to see what they're doing together, it's a, they're a powerhouse team 
for Jesus. And this is what happens in the life of someone who, though they were running from God, decided to turn back to God and said, what happens if I run with God? What happens if I get on his team? What happens if I get on the same page as him? God does amazing things with people's lives when they turn to him. And maybe that's just what you need to hear today. Uh, maybe, like, you're just here. It's your first time. I see several of you that might just be here for the first time because college has started and you're just checking in because you promised your parents you would try church one time. Like, you did it. You're here. You can check it off your list. But my question is, what does it mean for you to take a second chance with God right now? And here's what's funny. Uh, we have only looked at one verse from chapter 3, and we've got a lot left to get to. But maybe if that's the nugget that you needed this morning, I mean, file it away, and you're done. You're good. You can, like, take a nap. You're cool. Make sure that you act on that later. But ask yourself the question, what could I do with the second chance that God could give me? Um, but let's keep on going. We're going to keep unpacking the rest of the passage. Uh, God has spoken to Jonah now. And, and you notice it says the, vo- the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. And then in verse 2 it says this. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message I give to you. Let me ask you this. If you've been here for the last three weeks, does this sound familiar to you? It should. It might not jump right out at you, but go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Uh, if you don't recognize this, let me, let me just uh, jog your memory. This is very similar to the very first verse in the whole book of Jonah. Let's look at that, Jonah 1.1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the first time. <laughs> go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Isn't it interesting what happened here? God gives Jonah a job. All right, this is your assignment. Go to Nineveh. Tell them them that they need to turn to me. Jonah disobeys. He runs away. He goes on this little trip, like a little voyage. He does some like weird fishing where he's the bait and like he's in the fish, right? And then at the end of the thing, God comes back to him and he's like, you have fun, Jonah? All right, I got something to tell you. Go to the city of Nineveh. His, his mission has not changed. His assignment has not altered at all. God gives Jonah the same assignment. Uh, it reminds me of my kids at my house at bedtime. Uh, we've had to develop this ingenious rule at my house. If, if, if you like this, feel free to steal it and stamp your name on it and pretend like you made it up, okay? But this is our rule at bedtime. It's very simple. Bedtime is for bedtime. That's the rule. Bedtime is for bedtime because my, my kids are clever and they're smart and they're creative and they like to think that bedtime is for other things. They think that bedtime needs to be, uh, bedtime is for, ask dad just one more question. Like, dad, I asked you a question. No, no, it's not question time. We had question time earlier. Bedtime is for bedtime. I'm thirsty. Sorry, it's not drinking water time. We had drinking water time earlier. You missed it. Don't worry, it'll be later. Right now it's bedtime. I gotta go to the bathroom. I'm sorry, wet the bed. It's bedtime. Okay, we're not that heartless. We let them... We let them go to the bathroom, but bedtime is for bedtime because if you've got kids, you know that they think that it's for something else. It's play and sing in my bedtime. No, no, no. It's not concert time. It is bedtime. And I think that this is very similar to what God is doing to Jonah. Here's the thing at bedtime. I say, here's the thing. I understand that you you need a drink of water right now. I understand you got a question for me. I understand that you want to just straighten your Legos up because, man, they were on that table a certain way yesterday, and you want to, I understand that, but it's not time for that. You know what it's time for? You know what I need you to do right now? I need you to go to bed. That's what I need you to do. I'm your daddy, and I know what's best, so go to bed, okay? And Jonas, listening to God, God says, listen, I, I know you want to run. I know you want to go on your little cruise, do your weird fishing trip where you're the bait. I know that, but I need you to go to Nineveh. It's Nineveh time. It's time to do what I told you to do. Are you ready now? Have you had your fun? Let's move on. I love that because his mission doesn't change. Listen to this. Delayed obedience does not change God's plans. Think about that. Our delayed obedience. I'm going to put this off till later, God. It doesn't change the fact 
And he's like, listen, I, look, I understand, I understand you want to be in this relationship with this person. But listen, if, if you're in this relationship and you're not on the same page with them with, about Jesus, like if that's not happening for you, you're disobeying me. You can delay that. But it doesn't change my plan. And maybe something's going to change in your life. I don't know. But it's not going to change my plan. If I told you to be obedient to me and, 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 and be generous to your neighbors and help them out, like you're just feeling that call and you're like, no, I'm not feeling that right now, God. All right, fine. But I still need you to do that. And we'll see that that's Jonah's case here. Um, and so he, uh, he packs up his fishy toga and uh, he moves to Nineveh. Uh, in verse 3, we keep going. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, finally, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Uh, when I read this book, I- I'm thinking this. First, the first thing that really jumps up to me right here was this. Man, God really must have wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. Like, he went through a whole lot to get Jonah back to Nineveh. Because really, he could have just been like, all right, well, Jonah's not interested. Let's see who else can go. But for whatever reason, God really wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. And here's the thing. So I'm a preacher. You know that because, like, I'm doing this right now. But, so, but when I see people in the Bible that are preachers and I see how they do things, I'm like, what can I learn from that? So I'm thinking Jonah's got to be, like, a killer preacher. Like, he is good because God's like, I want you to go to, like, the most evil place in the world, and I want you to win them over for me, okay? I want you to go do that. I'm like, dude, Jonah must have been a stud. Like, people must have just flocked to Jonah to hear him talk because and then it says it took a long, it was a long, it was a big city, but he had to go all the way from the edge of the Mediterranean Sea all the way to Nineveh. This would have been many, many days of a journey. So I'm thinking, if he's that good of a preacher and he's got that long a time to plan what he's going to say, man, this is going to be out of the park. Like he's going to teach a really, really good lesson that day. Um, and, but then, then verse 4 rolls around, and I realize, I think, that everything that I must have thought about Jonah and his preaching skills may be misguided. Because look at verse 4 again, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming. I want you to hear his sermon. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the Ninevites believe God. What? I've been in Wilmington for four years. And look, I've been trying real, real hard to, like, help people see God's truth. And, like, so I don't know what Jonah did that was so awesome. And his sermon, it wasn't incredible. Like, I'm thinking at least he's going to have, like, a four-part series. And there's going to be, like, some cool graphics and a little video. They're probably going to have some games involved in, some current events, like, some nifty stories. Probably some alliteration because preachers be loving some alliteration. And, uh, and three-point sermons, all this stuff, right? I'm thinking all this is going to pan out for Jonah and he walks through, and I'm sure this is condensed for our sake. Uh, it's a very short book. Obviously, we don't get every single word. But the, the gist of his message is 40 days and Nineveh will be overturned. Really? And then they believed in God. Like, I'm thinking about completely adjusting the way that I, that I preach here. Is that cool? Like, from now on, I'm just going to be like, yo, 40 days, Wilmington. Drop the mic, kick over my iPad, walk off the stage, right? And if it doesn't work this week, I'll do it again next week. Because after 40 days, what's the point, right? It's, but this, and I don't think that'll work here, though, right? I just don't think, and, and I think that as I unpack it, I've got to ask this question. Why is this message so effective? Why is this thing so effective in the lives of the Ninevites? Because to me, it seems like if I heard that message, because I've heard stuff like that on street corners before, I've been like, that dude's crazy. Right? You ever heard that guy? That guy? What was he yelling about? Why is he so angry? I think there's more to the story than that. It really helps uh, to understand what some scholarship has uncovered and historians have, have researched. This is not something that you'll find uh, in the pages of the book of Jonah, but as you read through history, these are some things that you discover. And these are some things that, to me, have made it more clear why the Ninevites were more likely to turn their lives to God. Uh, first is this. History shows us that right at that time period, right before Jonah had come, there had been 
two huge plagues that had come through Nineveh. You just think about uh, you know these epidemic plagues through history and like like the black the black plague and these different fevers that sh- that came through in ancient times and old times and like these things are rough and they kill dozens and dozens and hundreds and maybe thousands of people. What are these people doing? Oh, they're they're on their knees and they're praying to their gods. Please stop this from happening. But that's what's going on. Okay, so there have been a couple of plagues. Another thing that's kind of a, a physical thing that's going on. There's another kind of uh, astrological thing going on. Uh, there had been a solar eclipse very soon before. Uh, Jonah had arrived, uh, and there's debate over when it was and all this, but there was a solar eclipse. Now, if you know much about ancient history or even some modern stuff, a lot of people see these big astrological events as, as signs, maybe an omen, maybe a symbol from the gods that something big is about to go down so that it happens. So this plague is going through. There's stuff going on in the heavens. And then the third thing that I think is more of like a political thing for those who maybe weren't so religious, there was a lot of political unrest. There, though Assyria had this huge hold on the world, they weren't the only powers in the world. And there was this another tribe of people that had risen up, and they were kind of a warrior clan, and they were really giving the Assyrians a run for their money. And so the Assyrian people were starting to be afraid of them a little bit, specifically in Nineveh. And so the Ninevites, maybe they didn't have the faith in the God thing. Maybe they survived the plague, but they're like, oh man, this other army's coming. And so what are they doing? They're on their knees to whatever God they believe in, saying, please come, please come. And then, here comes Jonah. I, I imagine he's bleached from head to toe. This is what, there was an account once of a man who was swallowed by a large fish, and then he was rescued like 48 hours later or something, they cut him out. His whole body was bleached by the stomach acid of the fish. So picture Jonah, if you will. His body is severely bleached or mangled or something. He, uh, he is a foreigner. He's a Jew. And he walks in and says, I'm from God. Turn from your ways or your city will be destroyed in 40 days. Suddenly, knowing the culture that's happening right now and all the things that are going on in their life, you think, okay. I can hear these people listening to Jonah now. I can understand. In fact, we live in a bit of unrest right now. You know that people are flocking to religion right now, whether it's Christianity or anything else, to go, look, I need something. I need something to save me from this crazy world that we're living in. God was already working on the hearts of the Ninevites before Jonah ever got there. And I don't know exactly what they all thought about the eclipse or this other tribe of people that wanted to come attack them or, or whatever. But here's what I know because I've seen it true in my own life and I've seen it true in the lives of many of you in this room is that God is already at work in the hearts of the Ninevites before Jonah ever gets there. And this is where I really want us to land today. Because it's often our tendency to look at people in the world and think, well, you know, those people, they don't, they don't look interested in what I have to say. I mean, how, how could I possibly bring anything new to their life? Or maybe those people don't really look like they need anything. I mean, look at their house. They got everything they need. If anybody needs anything, it's me. They don't look like they need anything. So why would they be interested in anything that I have to say? Or maybe, like, they don't look like they have any problems. Why would I come in? Why would they care what God has done with my problems? But what I found is that looks are often and almost always deceiving. We look at people in their life. We have no idea what's happening in the background And what God may already be doing in their life to open a window for us to step in with his love. It's the very same with you and me as it was with Jonah. See, when when we decide to stop running from God, and we decide to run to God, and we begin to run with God, we're asking God to be on our team. In fact, I want to kind of reverse that rule a little bit. God invites us to be on his team. 
And he says, listen, I've got some things I need you to do right now. Bedtime is for bedtime. I need you to go to Nineveh. Or for you, it might be, I need you to talk to this coworker about this issue that they're having. Or I need you to just be a better dad. Like, try to love your kids right now and stop being so selfish. Or try whatever, moms. Or try whatever in your workplace. Like, it might be that right now, and you've been coming to church, a lot of you have been coming for a long time now. It might be that God is really pulling your heart towards something. And he's saying, listen, don't be scared. I'm on your team. I've already been working ahead of you to make the path clear so that you can do what it is that I need you to do. The cool thing when it comes to God and us being on his team is that, and I believe this, is that we don't start with, from scratch with anybody. We don't start from scratch with anybody. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been across the table from somebody, and, and I love being a part of, of our church family here because so many of you come from uh, just whatever background, and it's crazy, and many of you far from God. And then when you decided that, you know what, I want to take this second chance God's going to give me, and I sit there and I think, man, look, look what we did. Look what's happening, and our church was able to pour into you. And so often you're like, man, it all started for me. It was like six months ago, man. Like Chris's story. He was down in Florida and he was like, I just had this moment. It was on an Easter Sunday. And I thought, there's got to be more life than this. Then he'd already gone to church with his girlfriend. He had started going to church somewhere else. And it was at that moment when God had already begun to do some things in his life, he then started bringing him to church with us. God had already begun to break down walls in his life. And it was just that maybe one more time he needed to hear something. Maybe one more sentence, one more hug, one more high five, one more, hey, you want to grab some coffee? One more, let me answer one more question for you. It was true with Jonah, it was true with Chris. My, my guess is it was true with you. Because if you're in this room right now, you're in one of two camps. I mean, you're someone who's already said, I'm sold out for Jesus and I want to be in. And if you're in that camp, my guess is God started working on your heart somewhere in your life way before someone else came in and said, this is how you do it. And you might be at a place right now that God is working in your life right now, even through this message and it may be days or weeks or months from now where you just have a revelation that you're like, okay, I'm ready. When we're on God's team, he paves the way. He does the work. And what he wants from us is for us to trust him. And then when we get on his team, what he wants from us is for us to love the world around us. It's, it's funny, I, I still get butterflies in my stomach when I think about having a conversation with somebody that I haven't talked to yet about Jesus, if that gives you any peace. <laughs> like, I've done this over and over and over again, but when I approach a new friend or something that I'm just now approaching, just the thought, like, how's it going to get there? And it's amazing that sometimes it starts with, I, I wear a Dallas Cowboys hat all the time, I'm a Cowboys fan, it's almost football season, woo, I watched a fake football game last night, preseason, yep, it was fun, and I can't tell you how many times just that Dallas Cowboys hat has opened conversation. Like football? Cool. Yeah, blah, blah. We talk. We meet again later. We're hanging out. Next thing you know, it's like, so what is it you do? Well, I'm part of this church in town. Really? Tell me about it. I've been interested in church. Really? You're interested in church? Interesting. Who knew that God was going to use my hat to start a conversation that would lead to them talking about church? It's just, it's just amazing the different ways that God will begin to work. But I still get those butterflies in my stomach because sometimes I feel like it's on me. I'm like, what if I don't say things right? What if I don't have the answers to their question? What if they look at me and think, oh, you're just the same judgmental punk that I thought Christians were, right? And God says, no, no, I got this. The question is, are you willing to go? In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, 
uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about this, and he's talking about the different roles that we all play in, in helping people understand the love of God. And I love this passage in 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul says, look, I planted seed. Apollos, that's one of Paul's friends. Apollos watered the seed, but God has been making it grow. We don't have the power to change people's hearts, but we do have the influence to love them. And we can go into them and just say, look, this is just, this is just me being friends with you, and I want to tell you what God's doing in my life. And I want to show you, by example, what it looks like when someone's taking the second chance that God gives them. We don't start with, from scratch with anyone. We just join forces with God who has already been hard at work. Who do you think loves them more? You or the God who created them? That's why Nineveh and their king, that's why they turned to God. That's why Chris Campbell turned to God. That's why I turned to God. It wasn't because anyone had the perfect words, the perfect argument, or some great soliloquy that they just stood in this town square and spoke out, and people were like, I need to flock to them because they are brilliant. No, but because God's spirit is strong, and it's active, and he loves people. How about you? How about you? Where are you in this story? Is God causing some growth in your life? What seed was watered a little more today for you? Was it a question that you've had? You're like, oh, that kind of piqued my interest. I need to dig into that a little bit more. A, a question, another question, what seed is being watered? Maybe, are you ready to take another step closer to God? That was the challenge last week, right? Hope that you did that. Like the challenge last week was take one more step closer to God. It is never too late. It is never too late to turn. So what step are you ready to take closer to him? Are you willing to become a Christian today? Maybe you want to say, you know, I'm all in. You know what? We have had that happen several times this summer. And the Bible says if you want to be all in, you can come into God's kingdom. And he says, this is what you got to do. Be obedient to me. And get baptized in my name. And at baptism, I'll wash away your sin. And I'll give you the gift of my spirit in your life. It's this huge moment in our life. It's where that second chance comes. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're ready for that. And if so, come talk to me before you leave today. I would love, love to have that conversation with you. Or maybe you're Jonah right now. Maybe God wants you to share his love, and you've been on the run. Can I encourage you in this? Don't be scared of what you're going to say when you get to the place that God is sending you. Don't be scared. Because God has paved the way already. You have no idea what's already going in on the lives of the people that God has put you in. This week, we're doing something uh, as a church that... Um, we do every year, and it's pretty exciting. I talked about it at the very opener, but if you missed it, uh, it's Love Agent Week. It's Love Agent Week, and it's the chance that we take once a year to say we want to be love agents, agents of God's love to the world around us, and every day is a different challenge to just love somebody, and we do this because I know as a human being that sometimes I need a little push in the right direction just to make good choices, and so as a church, we're going to collectively be like, oh, okay, right, let's love somebody. Every day a different challenge. There's the card in your seat. We talked about it already, and it's going to be in the announcement video later, but it's Love Agent Week. Maybe it's that God right now is going to be tugging at your heart saying, listen, just love somebody. Pick one specific per per person in your life with whether it's a neighbor, a coworker, or a relative, or someone that lives under the same roof as you. And not just love them for the selfish sake of making them feel happy or make you feel like you're a good person, but love them towards God so that they can find that second chance too. So that they can know what it means to be loved by the God of the universe. And you get those butterflies, right? But don't be scared because we don't start from scratch with anybody. God's already been working in the lives of the people that he wants you to impact. And so this is the question I have for us this week. 
this is huge, it's, it's bold, but if you are someone who's like, I'm a God chaser, I want to be grace-shaped, I want to be a love agent, this is a question for you today. Who will you boldly share Jesus with this week? If you were filling out a blank on a sheet of paper, it would say, who is your Nineveh? Fill in the blank. Where's the place that God is saying, go, go. And it, it, I don't want to give you a cop out here, so I'm totally not. It, but it might not this week. It might not be, hey, did you want to do a Bible study? How about Thursday, 3 o'clock? Is that good? They might be like, whoa, this is not where I am at all. Maybe it's just with you saying, I'm going to make the decision. To, I'm going to stop cussing with those people because probably they don't even know that I have any standards for my language. Or I'm going to stop with this coarse joking that I have with them because they need to know that there's change in my life. Like it needs to be a start somewhere, and it might be the start with you. But my question is, who will you boldly share Jesus with this week? Because when we begin to shine his light, People flock to it because it's the second chance, chance that everybody is looking for. You have no idea what God may have already been doing to prepare them for that conversation. Don't run against him. Run with him. And he'll take care of the rest. He always does. Um, I want to pray for us today. Let's pray. God, you are good and you, <laughs> you paved the way and sometimes we're just so fearful that we won't have the right answers, or, or maybe we're just a little bit, um, maybe sometimes we're just a little bit lazy, or other times we're just a little bit thinking, uh, you know, it, there'll be plenty of time later. But Father, help us just to see that you really love the world, and that you really want people to come to you who have been running from you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his forgiveness and his second chance. It wouldn't be possible without him. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.